Donald Trump was in Iowa this week bragging about passing cognitive tests again. Then he went to Mar-a-Lago where he bragged about how rich he was, how rich the people who were there are, and how he wants to be a dictator for a day. Meanwhile, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals granted expedited briefing on the issue of absolute presidential immunity in the D.C. federal criminal case against Donald Trump. That as Washington, D.C. federal judge Tanya Chutkin stayed that criminal proceeding pending the resolution of the appeal. Briefing on the appeal will conclude now on January 2nd. So it looks like there is going to be about a 45 to 60 day delay in the D.C. case, which is set for trial on March 4th, 2024. Thank you, Alina Haba, by the way. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that in the E. Jean Carroll defamation case, the next one, that is, that's set for trial on just the issue of damages next month, that Donald Trump waived the defense of absolute presidential immunity in that civil case by not raising it as an affirmative defense for over three years. Then, in a separate case before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals today involving Michael Cohen's lawsuit, where he sued the government for being placed in solitary confinement in 2020 when he wouldn't wave away his ability to write a book, the Second Circuit panel asked Alina Haba about the Blassingame case. And she said, Blassingame, I'm sorry, I don't follow. You know, Blassingame v. Trump? that was decided in the past two weeks, the key case on the doctrine you're talking about, absolute presidential immunity, where it was rejected upon Donald Trump's assertion because it was alleged that it was election and campaigning activity. She didn't know what the case was. Then Rudy Giuliani's on trial in the defamation case. He was too scared to testify at the defamation case against him, brought by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. He promised he would testify, but you know how it goes with MAGA. Uh, the case is now with the jury. Rudy Giuliani has already been found liable, so the case is just about damages and punitive damages. And Freeman and Moss are asking anywhere between 15 and about $45 million and then punitive damages on top of that. Stocks are soaring. All economic indicators are tracking in a positive direction. The story of 2023 seems to be that a year when every financial analyst predicted a damaging recession, what actually turned out was an economic miracle, an economic boom thanks to policies by President Biden. Then let's talk about the absurd, frivolous impeachment inquiry into President Biden by MAGA Republicans who don't even know and can't articulate what the crime is that they're investigating as it relates to President Biden. I think the connection here is that they've discovered that President Biden is actually Hunter Biden's father. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden showed up on Capitol Hill ready to testify publicly at the committee hearing, but the MAGA Republicans led by James Comer wanted a secret deposition, not public testimony. Go figure. And although Republicans want to take a winter vacation right now, President Biden and Democrats are working to make sure there is funding for Ukraine and they are prepared to work 
into next week as all the MAGA Republicans are whining that they want to go home. This and more on the Midas Touch show. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Brett and Jordy. A lot to discuss, fellas. A lot to discuss indeed. I feel like we wake up every single morning with a lot to discuss, and then the news cycle just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Ben, I I caught something that you said in the beginning, a major revelation that these Republicans came up with this week. Are you telling me Hunter Biden related to Joe Biden? Whoa. It turns out out that Hunter Biden is actually President Joe Biden's son, and that during a very dark time, in Hunter Biden's life when he was suffering from serious drug addiction. His father loved him, took care of him, and said that he would be there for his son. I love you, son. And for the MAGA Republicans, that means that there's some uh, deeper operation taking place. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is honestly just atrocious. What, what, Honestly, what they're doing on Hunter Biden, and frankly to President Biden here, I think is just absolutely disgraceful. I think in any other time, pre-Trump, pre-MAGA, it would be treated as kind of with the disgust that it deserves. But today, that level of disgust within the Republican Party, it's just kind of like their MO. As we watch what how Rudy Giuliani has been ha- handling this phase of the trial, which is now currently for just damages, like he's already been held liable for the actual defamation. To see him continuously dig in and defame Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss in the same ways that Donald Trump continues to defame E. Jean Carroll, it just continues to show you just the total lack of morality of this MAGA movement. And it just leaves me feeling gross. And I hope Rudy gets hit with the biggest judgment imaginable. I hey, am Brett, excited. the impeachment inquiry was of such a pressing nature that as soon as the vote was taken, MAGA Republicans going back home and taking a vacation. A three-week vacation. And they just Three weeks. It. Three weeks? Who gets a three-week vacation? And they just <laughs> came off their Thanksgiving vacation, and they had a vacation right before that. And then they get to come to the halls of Congress, and they get to go – Joe Biden's never working. Joe Biden, look at him on vacation over the weekend when he's actually working just from his home over the weekend, working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, while they are literally taking three-week vacations at a time. They always take vacations, too, after moments of extreme failure, if you notice. Like, it's a common theme with the (laughs) Republican Party. After they ousted their speaker and then they took multiple rounds and many days, weeks to elect a new speaker of the House. The second he got in charge, Speaker Mike Johnson, what do they do? Okay, that's enough for the day. That's enough for this session. I will see you later. And they took a vacation. Like they do, they are the last people in this country who deserve a vacation. <laughs> and they are the same people who look down on actual working people of the country who actually bust their ass day in and day out. And we'll show us some of these clips too. Like they don't even hide it. You have Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago just basically saying, rich people, just wait for all the things that I am going to do for you. And then uh, the working people of America are supposed to look at that and go, that's my guy. That's my guy. I don't think so. We're not letting mm. that slide mm. here on the Midas Touch podcast. Jordy, what's new in your world? Brett, you, you you say that you know they go on these vacations uh, after they oust the speaker or after they cause this chaos that the MAGA Republicans love to cause, and you're exactly right because they think that's the job. And when their re-elections come up, 
they're going to be sorely confused, mistaken, out of a job, quite frankly, when they have to go back to their constituents and be like, hey, this is what I did. I elected a speaker after 15 rounds, and then we got rid of them, and then we yelled Hunter Biden for 12, 14 months and didn't pass a single thing to help you. And then what when Hunter Biden do? shows up, and then when Hunter <laughs> Biden shows up, we go, uh, 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 nope, secret deposition for you, not the one in front of the public. And one of the things that's brewing right now, Jordy, and I want everybody to kind of play, pay close attention to this, are people in the MAGA movement are very displeased, I will say, with MAGA speaker Mike Johnson, who is like the most extremist speaker we have ever had. But why are they displeased? Because he was seen walking through the halls of Congress with former Republican speaker Paul Ryan. (gasps) What? And why are they displeased? Because he's engaged in discussions to possibly give Ukraine more aid so that Vladimir Putin can be defeated. <gasps> what? What a traitor. That's what MAGA says. Meanwhile, you have MAGA, Mike Johnson. He literally went on Fox the other day. Jordy, to your point exactly, Mike Johnson goes on Fox and he says, Brett Baer asks him, so what's the top priority, right? You guys uh, in control of the house. What's your top priority right now? MAGA Mike says the top priority is to keep and grow our majority. I think that's so revealing with the whole Republican mindset that their only thing that they want to achieve is to acquire power, even if they really don't use the power to actually do really anything, I guess, other than to help rich people at the end of the day. But their priority, he didn't say my priority is to help Americans. Right. My priority is to help the burden that middle-class families are feeling to get more infrastructure projects in the country to ensure that every American has healthcare. No, the top priority is to keep and grow our majority. But by the way, some bad news for House Republicans hoping to keep their majority, and we'll get into that as well. Let's start talking about what went down in Iowa, and I want to always do the compare and contrast. This is what's happening in Iowa in Mar-a-Lago. Then we'll go to the real world, the world of normalcy. And I'll just say Donald Trump's speeches don't hit the same when it's so incongruent with just the reality that's taking place on a day where he's saying that uh, if he's not elected, there's going to be a depression and him saying all of these things about gas prices that are just false when compared to the actual facts just kind of shows what a loser he is. And he looked very unwell also. And I think one of the things that was the catalyst for that was the DC Circuit Court of Appeals expediting the briefing uh, on the issue of absolute immunity. I think that Donald Trump in the morning thought that when Judge Tanya Chutkin stayed the criminal case, it was like a big moment for him. And then the DC Circuit Court of Appeals kind of dashed his hope and it all happened in like a six hour period. And he is really terrified, the same way Rudy Giuliani is terrified of accountability. Heck, they're terrified of even taking the witness stance. Let me show you this one right here. I want to start at the end of the rally. And this is where Donald Trump plays actual QAnon music. And he finds himself here, though, out of breath and unable to speak. And just take a look at what goes down here. Okay, that's bizarre. And I want to show you I want to sh- I want to show you here as well. Like, you know, in normal political times, 
uh, the candidate speaks about issues like jobs and infrastructure and healthcare and the military and protecting our vets and taking care of them and education. No, no, no. Donald Trump wants everybody to know that his golf game improves significantly. And then he says, that matters though, right? Like that kind of is an important metric. Play the clip. And it's a very minor thing, but I'm a much better golfer than I was 10 or 15 years ago. It means something. You know, it means something in a certain way. It means something. You know, it means something. It means that you were golfing your entire time in the White House. I think that's I think that's what it means, that all you do <laughs> is golf. And just for the audio listeners out there, like that first clip, Donald Trump, he's like huffing and puffing. He is sweating. He could barely breathe. And then you have the literal QAnon music playing behind him. It's the part of his speech where he literally rambles on and on about how terrible the United States is. Like this is this is his closer in his speeches. He talks about America's the worst country in the world. America's a horrible place. We're a failing nation. We're terrible. Everything sucks. It's it's like when he plays this weird QAnon hypnosis music and you could see Donald Trump's face just flushed and kind of unable to like breathe and unable to even say the words that he was supposed to say. And then people cheer him on as if he's like a kid in a play who forgets his lines and everyone's like, you got it, buddy. You got this. You could do it. You could do it. And then he, I guess, ultimately builds up the coverage, courage to talk about how horrible America is. As Congressman Jared Moskowitz says to me, like he goes, it, it's truly inexplicable, Ben. I, I don't know what to say. It's truly inexplicable. Here, Donald Trump again bra- brags about passing a cognitive test three years ago. Let's play this clip. Happy to hear. Our great football players got to be happy to hear this. I took a physical and I passed with flying colors and I took a cognitive exam. I said, doctor... Give me anything you want. I want to tell you. I said, doctor, you give me anything you want, doctor. I mean, what are you talking? And then the crowd is clapping for him. This would be parody if it wasn't so serious and impacting all of our lives. Here, Donald Trump says that by Christmas 2024, he says, the economy will be roaring. And he credits himself and kind of slurs his words. Play this clip. With your vote by Christmas, and we're going to have it by Christmas 2024, that's just shortly after the election because of the momentum of our victory, we will have a U.S. economy roaring back, and in 2025, we'll have one of the greatest economic years this nation has ever recorded. We will have a U.S. economy. Yeah, I don't know what it means by a a, a Eunice. By Eunice economy. You don't know what you meant to say United. I mean, again, I'm not going to try to. What did he try to say? I genuinely, what what do you think he tried to say? United States. We're going to have a United States. What does that mean? We're going to have a United States economy? Nothing means anything to him. He just says words. But but I don't think that's even what he, I don't know if he knows what he was trying to say there. And by the way, I just want to clarify, December of 2024, Joe Biden's going to be president in December of 2024. So he is saying that the economy is going to be roaring. By next year, Joe Biden's presidency. I mean, I guess he's seeing the tea leaves right now because there's already good economic indicators. But and, and by the way, he will he will watch what happens in 2024 and what the legacy media is going to try to do. And here's what we have to push back at: Donald Trump is going to say it's because of his policies about why things are really good in 2024. But he's going to say it's because of his poll numbers. He's going to say. 
look at my poll numbers. That's why the economy is doing so good because everyone's excited for Trump to get back. Such a great. That's such a great. What he's such a great point that that's the reason why. And then the media is just going to report on the polls. How you feeling? How you feeling? How you feeling? Why are you feeling that way when actually things are good? How you feeling? How you feeling? It's like (laughs) my legacy media. Maybe you actually want to report like on the data. And like, what is going on? And again, we'll talk in a little bit about the stock market setting all of these records. And again, to me, the stock market is not the indicator about how regular Americans, how hardworking Americans are feeling, except when Donald Trump is in office. And then if the stock market is high, then all you see on all of the newspapers is golden age, gilded age, the roar. This is the roaring, you know, 2023. That's that's what you would see when I give you this Joe Donald Trump tweet uh, for, uh, from April 2019, okay? You mean the stock market hit an all-time record high today and they're actually talking impeachment? Will I ever be given credit for anything by the fake news media or radical liberal Dems? All caps. No collusion. <laughs> uh, I, I mean – that literally, you know, is kind of describing the actual situation that President Biden's in, where you have record highs in the stock market and you have all the Republicans want to talk about is their fake impeachment efforts. By the way, what's the one thing that MAGA Republicans say over and over again? We're drill, baby, drill, drill, baby, drill. Okay. President Biden's domestic drilling has exceeded any past administration before blowing out of the waters domestic drilling during the Trump administration. And President Biden has still made important commitments on climate change that is so critical as well, showing you can balance the two things. But they're like, we need to drill again. I mean, we're drilling more. And then the legacy media criticism on President Biden when he then does that is that he's falling short on his climate commitments. At the same time, he is passing critical climate change initiatives in the legislation. That That's how the New York Times and legacy media frames that one. Anyway, let's keep on going. Donald Trump here says that when he slurs and makes all of these gaffes and he mumbles and bumbles that he does that on that he does that on purpose that's just part of his shtick he says play it i did this routine where i stumbled and mumbled purposely okay could I, you imagine I, if wait, 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 wait. <laughs> hold on all right ready brett brett play it brett play, play the clip again just so play it again. i did this routine where i stumbled and mumbled purposely did this routine where I stumble and mumble purposefully. And again, this is all from like last night. Like this is all <laughs> one, this is one speed. Is he talking, is he, was it a joke when he believed that Jeb Bush was president of the United States and sent troops to the Middle East? Was was that the time that he was joking or, or was it when he thought Obama uh, was president That's of the a, United States, then he was running against Obama? Or what it was big, when he thought that President Biden said started that he'd World rather be electrocuted than eaten by a shark. Electro Executed. Yeah, that was yeah. the big. That was that was the big joke. That was that was the Eunice joke. The that was, Eunice. That was a Eunice. That was a Eunice joke right here. Here, Donald Trump says something about how they are trying to go to the Supreme Court to enter a a guilty plea. He says, "I don't even know what this even means." Play this clip. Waited and waited and waited, and then they saw I was running, and they waited, and then they saw I was hot, and they filed lawsuits. These are very dishonest people. That's called election interference. These are very, and now they're fighting like hell because they want to try and get a guilty plea 
from the Supreme Court of the United States, which I can't imagine because you have presidential immunity. But strange things happen. But they want to get that because that's the only way they're going to win the election. It's a very sick thing. What's very sick is him using the words, he goes, this, this, and then he goes, they, with the accordion hands, and he goes, they saw I was hot. And now they saw I was hot, he says. Uh And so they're going to the Supreme Court to enter a guilty plea. By the way, Donald Trump's lawyer, Alina Habba, said that she wants, on behalf of Donald Trump, the Supreme Court to intervene. Ironically, that's exactly what special counsel Jack Smith is requesting, that the Supreme Court make a ruling on the issue of absolute immunity that Donald Trump is asserting that was rejected by the trial judge, Tanya Chutkin. Uh, Special counsel Jack Smith wants the Supreme Court to reach this issue on its own, granting certiorari. And there, Donald Trump acts like they want to enter a a guilty plea. What what, what are they even talking about there? And then Donald Trump claims here um, that gas prices, which have plummeted as a result of significant domestic drilling, even as Russia and Saudi Arabia are trying to like lower the supply. The Americans are uh, we're, we're increasing the supply right now. So let me just show you right here, though. So what Donald Trump says about uh, gas prices right now, which is just contradicted by you take a ride down the street and just take a look here. Play this clip. Gasoline prices are now five, six, seven dollars and even eight dollars a gallon. By contrast, under the Trump leadership, my leadership, inflation was non-existent and we had gasoline down to a dollar eighty seven a gallon. Doesn't that sound beautiful? By the way, gasoline is almost down to around that level, and gasoline was down so low because there was a global pandemic that you mismanaged, and people weren't driving. People couldn't get toilet paper. People were lined up because they couldn't get food. People were dying in mass every single day while you told people to inject bleach in their arm. And by the way, we were headed towards a recession before COVID hit. And before COVID hit, you were we were putting up all of this debt in general too. What eight trillion dollars in debt under the Trump administration? A lot of that before the before COVID hit as well. And that's one of the sources of inflation. When you add $8 trillion in debt and you print money as recklessly as you did, that's what happens. I want to go and show you, though, these two clips from Mar-a-Lago. Brett and Jordy, I'm not sure if we have these clips, but this is kind of wild right here. So then after Iowa, Donald Trump goes to Mar-a-Lago and he talks about how he wants to be a dictator for a day. While you find that clip, I want to let's show the other one where Donald Trump goes to the people at Mar-a-Lago and says, look at look at you all here. You're all rich as hell. We all have lots of money. I'm going to give you all tax cuts, rich people at Mar-a-Lago. Play, play that one right now. Because you're all people that have a lot of money. I know uh, <laughs> 20 of you and you're rich as hell. <laughs> We're going to give you tax cuts. We're going to pay off our debt. We're going to do all of the things. That- And there he is right there saying, you're all rich as hell. You're all rich as hell. And we're going to give you tax cuts. And then we're going to pay off the debt, the debt that you caused, $8 trillion in debt that you caused. 
more than 25% of the entire national debt going back to the very beginning of the United States of America caused by Donald Trump. And by the way, what would those tax cuts do? Those tax cuts to the rich would only increase the deficit, cause us to incur more debt. And that's the self-fulfilling cycle of Donald Trump. And to just so brazenly say that on camera, like that, once again, in any other time, imagine Mitt Romney running against Barack Obama and talking to a group of wealthy people who pay what? What's the Mar-a-Lago fees? 300,000 bucks a year or something insane? And saying, I'm going to help you with your taxes. It's a scary thing too when you see who he decides to surround himself by when he gives these speeches. I mean, it's been just an ongoing theme and pretty obvious, but they're all just his sycophants, right? He gives the speeches at Mar-a-Lago or, or have like this rally where not many people attend, but when you look at how many people are there in retrospect, it's just a scary thought that there are so many people who don't care about the contents of what he's saying, who will just continue to cheer this man blindly. And it's, you know, it, it's something for our audience to really pay attention to and really listen when we play these clips, because those folks, they vote. And so y'all need to vote and you got to get your friends to vote and people who actually love this democracy to get out there and vote in 24. Mar-a-Lago fees was $100,000, and then he increased it to $200,000 after he, after he was elected president, and it has $14,000 annual dues. That, that's, his, that's, that's, that's the Trump base. But okay, uh, Iowa farmer, Trump, Trump's your guy. Uh, okay. And let me just show you this clip right here, too, where Donald Trump says, uh, they say, you don't want to be a dictator. I said, no, I do want to be a dictator for a day. Here, play this clip. The day you see they're calling me a dictator. They say Trump wants to be a dictator. Trump wants to be. And you know how it started? He asked me a question. Please say you don't want to be a dictator. I said, no, I won't say that. I want to be a dictator for one day. Okay. There shouldn't, those words should never come out of the mouth of somebody who wants to have a position of leadership. I, and it's, he's not doing it as a joke. He's not being funny. He's not saying it in a humorous way. He's saying seriously that he wants to be a dictator. And again, I know that legacy media wants to explain why the Dow Jones being above 37,000 for the first time ever is a very bad day of news for President Joe Biden and why when unemployment is down, that's very bad for the Democrats and why when jobs are being created and there's 40,000 infrastructure projects, how that is not a good thing for President Biden and Democrats. But I think it's just important to report on the objective data. I mean, if inflation right now was through the roof like it previously was and President Biden didn't get it under control, I think we'd have to reflect about that. We'd have to talk about that. We'd have to confront those facts. But President Biden has managed to address it in a way that we are now the lowest of all G7 nations. The United States is when it comes to inflation and as the highest GDP growth. I mean, America's economy is growing faster right now than China's, the fastest growing GDP of all G7 nations right now. And we just have to talk about the data. You can't all of a sudden say that every traditional metric of economic success gets thrown out the window 
when you have a Democratic president like President Biden. And then you cherry pick any indicator when Trump's in office to talk about some golden age to justify his authoritarianism. And that's precisely what the legacy media does. I want to talk about what's going on in the real world. I want to talk about that economic data. And then I want to go from the real world, and we'll go out of the real world for a bit and talk about all this MAGA Republican impeachment nonsense. We'll also talk about what's going on in the courts. Let's take our first quick break of the day. Trade Coffee can help you nail holiday gift giving this year. A subscription to Trade is the perfect gift for any coffee lover. You just choose how much to spend and Trade will help your recipient personalize the coffee to their preferences. Best of all, Trade's gift subscriptions cut out the worry around shipping deadlines as the digital subscription is delivered instantly to their inbox. Trade is a subscription service that sources the best coffee across the country and brings it to your doorstep. They built relationships with over 55 local roasters so you can enjoy the craft from the comfort of your own home. There's multiple ways to experience coffee with Trade. Sign up for a subscription or try one of their starter packs today. Trade has been an absolute game changer for me as a coffee lover. I took the quiz. I told Trade what kind of coffees I like. I told them how I like to take my coffee. I told them how I like to make my coffee. And they have paired me with some of the best coffees I have ever tasted in my entire life. Plus, it is so convenient. Convenient. I never have to worry about running out of coffee or running to the grocery store. I always know that I'm going to have the best bag waiting for me at my own house. Give the gift of better coffee at home. From now through December 25th, Trade is offering 15% off all gift subscriptions at drinktrade.com slash Midas. Shop now through Christmas Day to save. That's drinktrade.com slash M-E-I-D-A-S for 15% off all gift subscriptions through Christmas Day. Drinktrade.com slash Midas. Full stop, it is so important to have a good memory. Losing your keys, forgetting something at work, it sucks. Our sponsor, Neurohacker, combines 28 of the most research-backed nootropic ingredients on Earth into the ultimate brain fuel formula, quality of mind. And it's been changing people's lives for years now. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in each ingredient's effect on supporting mental clarity. It's also backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, so you have almost three months to try Quality of Mind at no financial risk and decide for yourself. Since taking Quality of Mind, I've been more focused on tasks, have a better memory, and have greatly increased my motivation and discipline to just get things done. See what the best brain fuel formula on earth can do for your mindset. Go to neurohacker.com slash Midas for up to $100 off quality of mind. And as a listener of the Midas Touch podcast, use code Midas at checkout for an additional 15% off any purchase. That's neurohacker.com slash Midas and use code Midas for an additional 15% off to experience life-changing mental performance from quality of mind. Welcome back. We are live on the Midas Touch show, Ben, Brett, and Jordy. Brett, take us through some of the economic news right now. I thought you were going to say Brett, fantastic ad read. It was what a fantastic a, read, B. What, what, what an incredible job. Like, I'm so you glad we got reads? you in the rotation. You should do more ad reads. And I love, <laughs> that, we, I love that we locked you down to coffee. Like I like that. That is your sector, and and, and Trey Coffee is phenomenal. So definitely listen. That listen, that is my specialty. So and and I and I wouldn't put my I wouldn't put my stamp of approval on just any coffee. So you exactly. can check out all of our great sponsors in the description below. But yeah, I mean, listen, you have Donald Trump giving this bizarro world kind of dystopian, very dark view of the United States of America. This isn't new with Donald Trump. I mean, even in his inauguration, his whole thing was about American carnage. You think you're going to give a speech about 
the hope for America, right? About what we could achieve when we come together as Americans. His entire speech was about American carnage and how horrible America was. That's like the one single through line with Donald Trump and his view of the United States. He looks up to Russia. That's what he thinks is an example of a great, strong country. He looks up to North Korea. That's his view of a great, strong country. But you know what? Sometimes reality gets in the way. So just as we saw right there just a night or two ago, Donald Trump in Iowa speaking about, and he says things also like, if Joe Biden is elected, we're going to have a depression, the likes of which you've never seen. Well, you know what? Joe Biden is currently the president, and we're actually experiencing incredible economic growth. But it's not the first time that he's tried to do this sort of fear-mongering technique. Let's go back to the 2020 debates. You all remember the 2020 debates between President Biden and Donald Trump. And what did Donald Trump say then? He made a statement where if President Biden is elected, the stock market's going to crash and there's going to be a depression. But of course, this week, as you all know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit an all-time high Wednesday. It crossed 37,000 for the first time ever. You have the S&P 500 now up 21.5% on the year. You have NASDAQ up 39.5% for the year. You have S&P 500 posting one of the best monthly gains in a century. So now let's look at the contrast. Donald Trump's words during his debate with Joe Biden and Fox, I had to, you know, I had to include Fox and CNBC speaking about the actual reality. If he's elected, the stock market will crash. Okay. So, uh, the Dow's never been higher. The other averages racing along. That bell marks a new record high for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Going to close above 37,000 for the first time ever. It's got to hurt the Fox host to say, right? I mean, and even it shouldn't though. This should be great news for the country. Like, (laughs) let's work together. Like, I don't care if you're a Republican, an independent, a Democrat. Let's seize the moment and do great stuff for the economy. Let's focus on making this even better. 100%. And let's talk about the other good news of the economy. Like We should all be celebrating the fact that you have inflation cooling and inflation continues to ease. The latest reports, inflation has come down to 3.1% year over year. That's now down two-thirds from its peak. You have unemployment, which was already historically low, coming down to 3.7%. It's the longest stretch of sub-4% unemployment in over 50 years, and that trend continues. You have real wages up. That means wages are outpacing the inflation that we have in the country. You have over 14 million jobs now added in the U.S. economy, 5.2% GDP growth. And as we spoke about before, gas prices continue to fall around the country. I know people are seeing that for themselves. And, you know, I think it will probably take maybe a little bit of time for all this to kind of sit in with people and people want to see, is this just a momentary thing or is this kind of the trend that we are going to see? But I think that it will ultimately set in with people as we get into 2024. This is something that I've kind of been predicting now for the past few months, and I'm glad to be proven right thus far. Um, But you have the Fed even coming out yesterday, and the Fed says, we're going to hold the rates steady. We're not going to raise them at all right now. And in 2024, you could expect three cuts three rate cuts in 2024, which is one of the reasons why the markets spiked the way they did. I mean, when you have that 
on the way, when you have inflation coming down, when you have an unemployment continuing to come down, when you have real wages increasing, the whole story of the economy is going to be so, it already is so different, but it's going to be even more different when those things begin to kick in. And it's almost prescient that the Biden administration went so hard on Bidenomics because it's almost as if they knew the direction the economy was heading in. So even if they wanted, you know, Fox wanted to clown them or whatever in the beginning, guess what? Now the raw data speaks for itself. And I want to say, does that mean the economy is perfect for everybody? Absolutely not. Does it mean that there are wealth disparities that we need to take care of? A hundred percent. Like Ben said, also, the stock market is not the economy, but it is a metric that Trump would be spiking the football in if he had that sort of economy going. And he did when he said when there were previous records being set that were far below what the stock market is right now. Trump spiked the football at every opportunity that he could get. And it is meaningful to folks who have retirement accounts or own stocks or have 401ks. I mean, that is a meaningful thing for a lot of people in the country as well. So we need to celebrate the wins and we need to fight to improve the other areas. But these are all very positive signs. And I think that it will begin to actually impact things, the way people are feeling about things going forward as we cross into 2024 and things continue to improve and set records the way that they are doing. Because this is honestly a record-breaking economy. And also, like nobody, nobody really expected to have this sort of you know, confluence of events here where you have both a hot economy, low unemployment, and inflation coming down. I'm sure a lot of people have heard this term countless times. We need a soft landing. We got to get the economy. It's got to be a soft landing. And a lot of people, I know a lot of economists rolled their eyes when the Fed and when people in the Biden administration said we need a soft landing. But here's our soft landing. You know, the plane might not be fully on the ground yet, but the wheels are down and it's certainly looking like we are heading in that direction, which is honestly a testament to the way the administration has handled things. Every financial analyst, not like most, every major financial analyst predicted recession Mm -hmm. and some a very, very bad recession. So what was different here? Bidenomics. What was the variable here that the financial analysts did not take into account? Bidenomics and those policies spurring the economy. And when I see how prepared I am for you, Ben. Bottom up, when you actually focus on bottom up, middle out, and not this trickle down crap, and you invest in the American worker, right? That's what Biden's policy. Let's invest in the American worker. Bottom up, middle out. Let's focus on rebuilding the middle class here. Why would we go and try to give billionaires and decamillionaires more excessive privilege, unfair privilege? Why would we do socialism for billionaires? That makes no sense at all and hope that they trickle it down on us after they buy their 10th yacht or 12th private jet. That's the Republican policy that doesn't work. And Biden's like, "Uh uh-uh, we're going to do it differently. And that's what's working. When you have 40,000 infrastructure projects across the country, that means you're putting Americans to work for good paying jobs. And then that actually has an aggregate effect. So here's why 
I like predicted where you're going to go. And we did not discuss this beforehand. And this clip is not even on our outline that we create for the shows, but I've got a compilation of economists predicting with near a hundred percent certainty, 65% certainty that this economy, this is from like a year ago, this economy is heading into a recession. If you remember Bloomberg news, Bloomberg's analyst, they released the story a hundred percent chance of recession. hundred percent. They, they didn't even give themselves room. Like they didn't even say 98%. They said 100% chance of recession in the next year. Well, they were a hundred percent wrong. And so are the people in this montage. Now I'm suggesting that there's a very high risk, probably 65% or better of a recession next year. Like we headed to a recession towards the end of this year, start of 2024. Economists are now saying that the U.S. will enter a recession within the next year. There is an extremely elevated chance of recession. Uh, and if you had to place your money, I, I, I bet that within 12 months, the economy is in downturn. Here's the thing. It's easy to bet against those people, though, because they are wrong about everything. everything. Larry Larry Kudlaw, just tell me, Larry Kudlaw, what you feel, and I will just do the exact opposite. <laughs> he just goes on there and tries to do it in a very just kind of – I say it's 65%. You're just making that up. Like, totally. But it also totally. goes – it shows you, though, how the media seizes – on some narrative, then they get lazy. And it's a, it's a very lazy perspective, Ben, to your point too, because there's a concentric circles here that are overlapping, right? Between these financial analysts in that sector and the people who did the voting and, and the polling for mm -hmm. predicting the, the, the red wave. All they do, and it's just such lazy, I'm not even going to call it work, but whatever, you know, it, it, it's just a lazy job that they do is that they go with some sort of public sentiment that they feel is going to happen and then they rely on the data to back up this viewpoint and, the, and this hypothesis that they've already concluded is going to be the ultimate See, I just, outcome. They, they, they don't rely on the data. They rely on they the rely on They rely on their own data. That they, they formulate around it is what I'm saying. Is See, that they, but I don't even agree with you there. They don't rely. They rely on feelings. Right. And they talk about like how you feel or, or, or what you predict. And my point is always – okay, let's go to the data and then let's chat about the data. That's why you talk about polling, why we had Simon Rosenberg and Tom Bonnier on the show who actually give us the data. And I can look at it and I could test the data and I can challenge the data and they can throw the data at me. And then we can crowdsource the data. Heck, we've got one of the biggest pro-democracy, the biggest pro-democracy community here in the world. So then we could ask the Midas Mighty, what do you think about this? And you all point out great things, but you need to start with a data set. Mm -hmm. And those people were working with a narrative. And they go, now, now okay, now those clips, and they, those clips were all spread out over the past year, right? So some of them like a little over a year ago, some of them a few months apart. And some of them were people like Trump people, like Larry Kudlow, who was on Fox Business all the time and stuff. But some of them were reporters on Bloomberg Network. Some of them were reporters on CNN. And they were all saying the same thing. Now imagine every single day, turning on your TV, because I remember turning on the TV or right. being in the car and listening to the radio every single day, turning on the TV and they go, recession's coming, better watch out, recession, 100%, 100% chance, get your money in order because this recession is coming right around the corner. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. 
And then you look at the polls and you got people not feeling good about the economy. You got to wonder, maybe it was all the conditioning of day in and day out of people doom and putting out this doom and gloom about something that never happened and now is not going to happen anytime soon, at least. Like, like just think about that kind of level of brainwashing that we are seeing from these networks and finance people are going to be biased against somebody like president Biden, whose whole thesis is bottom up, middle out. Like, of course they're going to be, these are people who make so much money who, when he goes to raise taxes for rich people, guess who are the rich people? It's the financial analysts on CNBC and Fox business and all these networks. Of course they're not going to like it. And then it cuts to commercial and, what do the commercials do? The commercials are trying to sell you shit based off doom and gloom. The economy is very bad. So you know what you have to do? Buy gold. Buy gold right now because the economy is going to get you. You know what you got to do? Buy a lot of crypto because, you know, once the economy tanks, you're going to want that crypto because once the banks fail, then you have all the crypto bros, right? All the crypto people. They were trying to cause runs on the bank. You remember when they were trying to cause runs on the banks? All those dudes who are friends with Elon Musk, like this was a whole coordinated effort to scare people into thinking the economy was bad so that rich people could get richer. And they all got exposed. I'm sorry. That's such a, that's such a good point. One of the first things that Elon Musk did with Twitter was it was then kind of utilized by all of those finance bros who jumped on it and they were basically trying to scare people and do the runs on the banks. Like that's what was going on. And that was what, like a year ago, a, a little over Probably a year not ago. Even, was it even, I don't, I can't, I don't even know. It was uh what's his name. Uh, I can't even think of their names. But that's the why we're all in podcast. Yeah. But, that, that, but that's <laughs> why it's so, that's why it's so important though, again, that we focus on the data and we test the data and we try to arrive at the facts that way. Should we talk about some court case updates? Ooh. Oh, I have a good legal update and or legal updates, and there are plenty of them. And Ben, I'll let you, of course, take the lead on. Well, the for, first we got what could have been bad news: the federal judge Tanya Chutkin issuing a stay in the Washington D.C. federal criminal case, and that would halt all proceedings there. That case is set for trial March fourth of twenty twenty four. So that happened earlier. Uh, in the day. And then we were thinking, okay, we got to take a look at what the DC Circuit Court of Appeals is going to do. Are they going to grant special counsel Jack Smith's motion to expedite the uh, appeal there? And, and Donald Trump's appealing the issue of absolute presidential immunity in a criminal case that was rejected by federal judge Tanya Chutkin. And fortunately, the DC Circuit Court of Appeals granted Jack Smith's expedite the scheduling there. And let's take a look at this schedule because it is an aggressive and very good schedule. First thing to note is the three-judge panel. Judge Henderson, a George H.W. Bush, and prior to that, a Reagan appointee. Childs and Pan, Judge Childs, Judge Pan, both Biden appointees. But more than that, just pro-democracy, law and order, 
no-nonsense judges. So you couldn't really have a better panel than this if you wanted a pro-democracy outcome, a law and order outcome, no delays. And they just showed right away that they were not wasting time here. Uh, Donald Trump's brief is due December 23rd, 2023. In Donald Trump's opposition to the schedule, he uh, quoted Dr. Seuss <laughs> and compared special counsel Jack Smith to the Grinch. Um, harming the lawyers' vacation schedules. I don't think that this panel took that uh, uh, in, in well, a very can, good. Can, can I just say though how this backfired so badly on them? Because their whole thing was like, and it was the it's the most ridiculous, disgusting argument that they made. To they're like, it's like Jack Smith is over there rubbing his fingers together like the Grinch and saying, "I want to ruin your Christmas cheer." Like they wrote things. They wrote that. that. They like that. Like like I'm paraphrasing but that's what they wrote. And so what the thing that I love the court did is, and what Jack Smith kind of suggested was, all right, so the 26th, a little too, it's going to get in the way of your Christmas festivities. We need you to deliver this to us by the 23rd <laughs> before Christmas. And the court agreed. And when the court set the schedule, uh, what did they do? They set the brief for December 23rd before Christmas. So it ended up backfiring by them saying, don't ruin our Christmas. They said, okay, we'll do it before and after. Trump's brief due December 23rd, 2023. Jack Smith's brief due December 30th, 2023. Trump's reply January 2nd, 2024. And then I assume there will be oral argument will be scheduled still in early January. I expect before February. My prediction is somewhere between January 10th and January 15th. And I would expect an order denying Donald Trump's appeal, affirming the district court ruling, denying his motion to dismiss the indictment on absolute presidential immunity grounds. I expect that to come before February. So what does that mean for the March 1, 2024? trial date. I think it gets delayed because right now the proceedings there are stayed, but I don't think it gets delayed more than 45 days at this point. So I think that means the trial probably starts uh, April or early May. It's still possible it could start March 4th, 2024. But I think given that there's now going to be 30 to 45 days of no activity, it's hard to imagine it starts March 4th, uh, 2024. And at the same time, Special Counsel Jack Smith went directly to the United States Supreme Court and said, look, while we're before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, because this issue is so important to our democracy, Donald Trump's assertion of absolute presidential immunity, Supreme Court, you should grant certiorari right now. You should grant oral argument right now before we even have to go through uh, an appeals process. Now, that kind of shifts the burden to Donald Trump. What's Donald Trump going to argue? No Supreme Court, don't make a ruling on absolute presidential immunity, which I claim I have. Donald Trump's brief is due December 20th there, and I expect Donald Trump to argue no Supreme Court, do not make a ruling on this right now, which kind of shows that Donald Trump doesn't believe there's kind of a great degree of urgency or it's that important that the Supreme Court even needs to hear it. So it was a strategically brilliant move by special counsel Jack Smith to try to force that issue, right? 
Donald Trump, you'd expect, hey, I appointed three of these Supreme Court justices. It's a right-wing Supreme Court, right? There are six right-wing Supreme Court justices on there. So shouldn't they be favorable to Donald Trump? No, because Donald Trump's claim is so outlandish that he's claiming absolute presidential immunity in a criminal case. So special counsel Jack Smith is confident saying, okay, Donald Trump, if you're confident, let's go to the Supreme Court right now. So we'll see ultimately what Donald Trump does there. But I expect Trump to file a brief on December 20th when his brief is due, basically saying, no, slow it down, delay, delay, delay. But now you have two tracks, right? So what Donald Trump was banking on is, okay, let's wait for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and then I'm going to go to the Supreme Court and get them to stay it. So Jack Smith said, I know you're going to do that. What a chess move. Goes directly to the Supreme Court right now so that Donald Trump has to kind of make that argument. Trump was not expecting that at all. It's brilliant. It's a, it's a genius chess move. And it, there's just all these contradictory things that they're saying, of course, because honestly, Trump's legal team is like pretty abysmal and Trump's an idiot who just speaks off the cuff and then doesn't know what he's saying. But like they're boxing themselves into this weird place now because on the one hand, you have Trump's lawyers trying to do everything they can now to like delay the Supreme Court, right? Like they they don't want this to be heard before the election. They want to keep trying to push this thing back. But then you have like Lena Haba going on TV and she's like openly begging the Supreme Court to save her and save Donald Trump. Like, is she going to kind of screw herself and Trump by saying these things on TV? Like what, what, what is the, I'm, I'm assuming there is no strategy there, but what is the strategy there? First, do, do we have the clip of her where she went on TV and she said, first, let's play the clip. We let's do it. And I believe uh, someone had called on, on the Supreme Court to do this exact thing. We need the Supreme Court to step in and stop this. This has become complete mayhem. Mm. And if they don't start looking at these decisions and as the highest court in this country, as the arbiter of law, the ultimate arbiter of the Constitution, the people that are supposed to enforce our bedrock, if they don't start doing it, which thank goodness they are, we, you know, have some law and order hopefully soon. Did you pick up what she said at the beginning there? She goes, someone has called on the Supreme Court to take this issue up. Do you know who that someone is? <laughs> Special counsel Jack Smith. Jack Smith called upon the Supreme Court to do the very thing that she's asking the Supreme Court to do, although she's saying they should step in and save Donald Trump. Jack Smith says, look, Supreme Court, they apparently want this issue before you right now, so let's see if they put up or shut up. Let's see what they say. And the Supreme Court granted expedited briefing on the issue of certiorari as to whether or not oral argument should take place. <laughs> it's just it's one of the funny old things about it all. Like, and it just shows you just how disingenuous they are. And I, I know we know this, but even let's go back to the appeals court, right? Let's go back to the DC Circuit and. Jack Smith is trying to get them to expedite looking at Donald Trump's appeal. It's Donald Trump who is the one who appealed. If you were the person who appealed something, theoretically in any other case, you would want the people to see your appeal. Oh, and if you believed it was slam dunk, if you believe I have an absolute immunity, let's get this in front of the right people 
right away and let's get them to throw this thing out. That would be a home run result. <laughs> a home run. It just, it's a funny thing that it's a big win for Jack Smith that he expedited the D.C. Circuit do, dealing with Donald Trump's appeal. Well, that's the thing. When Donald Trump files lawsuits as well, it's always like the defendants who want to move the case along, right? Like where Michael Cohen's like, yeah, can we do discovery now? Like, can I take your deposition? And then Trump's like, no, we want to slow this down. It's like, you're the plaintiff, buddy. (laughs) You sued (laughs) Cohen for $500 million. Why wouldn't you want to bring that case to trial right away? Oh, because you're totally full of crap and you are scared of your own shadow and you'll never sit for a deposition. Oh, this was all a game to you. This was all a form of witness intimidation to you. Oh, by the way, I got to play this for you too. So Alina Haba was in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals today on an appeal involving Michael Cohen's lawsuit against the Department of Justice (laughs) and Donald Trump for putting him in solitary confinement when he wouldn't sign a waiver away. They wanted to force him to not put out a book and he refused to do it. And then they threw him in solitary confinement for like 52, 53 days. And so he lost. Cohen lost at the trial court level because there's this whole doctrine called the Bivens Doctrine, which basically basically says that there is no remedy for constitutional violations, even if you establish it, unless Congress establishes an actual law, there's no implied right of action as the Supreme Court has gotten more right wing. They've done away with implied causes of action. So even if Cohen was injured, even if there was a constitutional wrong, Cohen doesn't have a remedy as this case Bivens from 1971 has been interpreted by the right wing Supreme Court. But Cohen saying this is an extraordinary case. This is an extraordinary circumstance. It fits some exception to the way Bivens has been interpreted today, the Bivens case. So then Alina Haba goes up and says, Judge, in addition to Bivens, this case should be dismissed for absolute presidential immunity. And then the Second Circuit panel goes to Alina Haba. Okay, well, what do you think about the Blassing Game case? And she goes, I don't know what the Blasting Game case is. The Blasting Game case is a case decided in the past two weeks about Donald Trump. The case is Blasting Game v. Trump. Not only right now is it the dispositive case in the Court of Appeals, at least the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, about absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. It's about absolute presidential immunity in civil cases. Regarding your client, Donald Trump, how do you not know the Blasting Game case? That's your case. That's her case. That's you're supposed to be your client's case. How absurd is that? And it says he doesn't have absolute presidential immunity in civil cases regarding the January 6th insurrection because the conduct was campaign activity or election activity. So it falls outside the outer perimeter of Article II executive authority. Heck, I know it. All the Midas Mighty know what Blasting Game is. She doesn't we know We made a it. joke about it in a few episodes when you were <laughs> like, and guess the name of the case. And then you said Blasting Game. And I, and I was like, oh, that was on the tip of me and Jordy's tongue. Like we've talked about it that much that it's become a joke on the show. It's like not knowing to put your name on the SATs. Like you're arguing absolute <laughs> presidential immunity. Blasting Game is the case. If you were to teach a course on absolute presidential immunity, it could be called absolute presidential immunity in the world of blasting game. Like that's how dispositive it was. (laughs) 
you have to look back on and I got to go, well, look, in 1971, the Supreme Court ruled this in Bivens and then the pro- – no, no, no. This happened two weeks ago about <laughs> during this oral how, – how, how, how does it end for, for Haba, Ben? Like, like we've already seen him turn on Takapina. He turns on all of his former lawyers. Where are we 10 years from now? Like, like what, is, what is the outcome of Alina Haba and her role? Have you, in have you, heard, of us, have you heard of a network called Fox or Newsmax? <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, look, there was a recent lawsuit against Bedminster that also has some really horrific conduct it alleges against Alina Haba. Right. They say that Alina Haba was grooming this victim, it was alleged to try to get her to sign a settlement agreement, releasing sexual harassment claims against one of the bosses at Bedminster. And then once Alina Habba secured the settlement agreement, and it's alleged that Alina Habba said the settlement was tax-free, it's alleged then that Alina Habba then just basically ignored the person and cites a lot of text messages between them. And then that the settlement agreement was Alina Habba, a lawyer, and the non-lawyer victim of the sexual abuse is what's alleged. But let me play you this oral argument from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals from earlier today. Play this clip. Okay. Um, are you familiar with Blasting Game versus Trump, the D.C. Circuit case that was recent? Um, let me see if it's in my... Not off the top of my head, Your Honor. Okay. Um, I'd just be... They, they got this issue before we did, and um, obviously it is not binding authority on us, but it is persuasive, and I was hoping uh, that you could react to it, but you don't have any reaction to it at this time. I don't, but I can say that if it's not from the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has made very clear that we are not to extend Bivens unless it passes the two-factor test. Uh, my colleague- Right, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a official act case. It's more dealing with the immunity. Okay. But if you're not- prepared. I'm happy to talk about the immunity and official acts. Actually, Mr. Cohen's complaint states on paragraph 47 uh, that at all, relative, all, at all relevant times herein, the individual defendants acted within the course and scope of their employment. Um, and under the color of law. So right there, never mind Bivens, the president, he, it, he admits that the president was working as within, the, within his uh, job as the president of the United States, and he was, his complaint fails under absolute immunity. So under two, frankly, it fails on two levels. <clears throat> um, I can speak generally, you know, of Nixon. The case serves as an independent basis of dismissing appellant's case against President Trump. As I stated, um, a former president of the United States is entitled to absolute immunity from damages liability predicated on his official acts. That was stated in the Nixon v. Fitzgerald case. But that is precisely what appellant is attempting to do. The complaint specifically alleges, as I said, that he was working within the course and scope of his employment. So uh, for those reasons alone, it must be dismissed under Nixon. And then appellant also tried to skirt this issue by claiming that President Trump's alleged conduct was done in bad faith. I mentioned this prior, but my client adamantly, first of all, denies that he had any involvement whatsoever in the conduct conduct alleged in the complaint. And there is no specific facts that go to President Trump. Let's remember there were seven uh, counts. One, one was against President Trump, and it had no factual basis. But regardless... And so yeah. I, I think I thank you for your time. Yeah, my sure. colleagues don't have it. Sure. No okay. problem. Thank, thank you. you. She goes, thank you for your time. Just sit down, you moron. Please just sit down. I, I was hoping to have a discussion on the case that was just decided in the past two weeks about your client, 
Donald Trump, but you rather cite the 1982 Richard Nixon case, which stands for the general proposition of absolute presidential immunity and not what was actually decided relevant to your client. But like, she goes, I have to look through my notes. This is your case. This is blasting game. What are you talking about? (laughs) Did you hear the exhausted? Thank you. At the end, just to wrap the whole thing up for her. Like, like it was, that was brutal. You're not, you're not on Fox News anymore. Sorry. Thank thank you. Please shut up. I want Michael Cohen (laughs) to win this appeal. The law is very, very difficult as it relates to Cohen winning this because this Bivens doctrine has been gutted. Um, So I feel like the judge there was like, ugh. Like, I know you're probably going to win this, Alina Haba, as well as, but like, you shouldn't. Like, your argument is horrible. And by the way, I hope that's not the outcome. Although I think that if you look at what the Supreme Court's done in gutting Bivens, it's it's a very uphill battle trying to establish official act liability in a case uh, like that, unfortunately. And that's, again, with this right-wing Supreme Court. Oh, and then we learned also with the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that uh, Alina Haba failed to assert and Trump's lawyers failed to assert during the relevant time period absolute presidential immunity as an affirmative defense in the E. Jean Carroll's other defamation case, which is set for trial in January. Remember, that involves Donald Trump's conduct in 2019 when Donald Trump was in office. So if you were to ever assert the Nixon case that she talks about there, like if you were to ever actually do it, it wouldn't be in that oral argument right there. Like the one time you would actually assert Nixon is in response to having a lawsuit filed against you while you were in office for defamation. And so E. Jean Carroll sued Donald Trump in 2019. Remember how then Bill Barr tried to substitute in the United States, but what they didn't do, what they didn't assert And this is really like a check the box thing. All you have to do is put as your affirmative defense, it's one sentence. Our affirmative defense is absolute presidential immunity. They failed to write that for three years. And as a result, the Second Circuit said, okay, no, you don't get to assert that now on the eve of the January trial. Go away, waiver. Waiver, you waived it. And by the way, it could have been a tough call you have to ask. Is the conduct, the defamatory conduct, although disgusting within the outer perimeters per the Nixon case? It's possible that the Supreme Court ultimately rules it does. As abhorrent as the conduct is, I could see them saying it still is an outer perimeter act because it was during a press conference while somebody was in office, even if the conduct was deplorable and disgusting, right? In Blasting Game, the reason it was outside the outer perimeter is because it involved campaign activity. The January 6th insurrection has nothing to do with like a press conference while somebody was in office. It was extra, it was outside of the office itself. So, she waived that, and now that that's going to cost Donald Trump. I think at this uh, trial, like he's going to get hit for tens of millions of dollars at that defamation case. He's already been found liable, so the only issue is damages and punitive damages. And when we come back from our last break, I want to talk about Rudy Giuliani's defamation case brought against him by Ruby Freeman and Shamos. There too, the case is just about damages and punitive damages. As of this recording, the case is with the jury. We don't have a verdict as of this recording, but 
We do know that Rudy Giuliani was too afraid to testify after saying he intended to testify. That sounds like a lot of these other people I know. It sounds like Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and all of these Mm. MAGA people. Let's talk about that. Let's take our last quick break of the day. Being on top of your mental health game is so important. And as you know, we here at the Midas Touch Network are working around the clock. And it's easy to fall into bad habits or routines because, well, life gets in the way, especially with your diet. Frankly, I think most people can relate. Everyday life does get in the way, making it challenging to find a healthy snack without all the sugar and junk. Now, if you're busy and constantly on the go like me, you need to try MOSH. It's a protein bar made for your brain. With six delicious flavors, each MOSH bar includes 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health like ashwagandha, lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s. At 160 calories and only one gram of sugar, MOSH protein bars are the guilt-free snack your brain and body will crave. Your brain is your number one tool, which is why MOSH protein bars were mindfully formulated by some of the top neuroscientists and functional nutritionists. MOSH now has a new line of plant-powered protein bars in three delicious flavors for those who want all of the protein and brain support of the original bar, now made with plant-based ingredients. I have a mosh bar literally every day to kick off my morning, and it has totally improved my performance. I love the taste, especially of the peanut butter mosh bar. Delicious. Not to mention the packaging, it makes it super easy to take them with me if I ever find myself hungry between meetings. Don't settle for a mediocre snack when you can nourish your body and mind with the fuel it needs to succeed. So whether you're at the gym, on the go, or living your best life, Mosh Protein Bars will keep your brain fit-fueled and feeling good. Head to moshlife.com Midas to save 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack, which includes all six mouth-watering flavors. M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash Midas. Welcome back. We're live on the Midas Touch show. So... When uh, Rudy Giuliani stepped out of court during the this uh, defamation case brought against him by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, he said, I'm going to testify. When I testify, you're going to get the whole story. Heck, I didn't tell the court the whole story before. Even though we filed 70 lawsuits, I hit it for this moment. And now I'm going to have the big reveal. He's going to release you know, the Kraken. I'm going to release the Kraken <laughs> right now. He he waited strategically yeah. until the eve of a defamation verdict, and then he was going to testify. Here, play this clip of Rudy outside of court. I was proven to be telling the truth, and they were proven to be liars. Once again, that will happen. Uh, when I testify, you'll get the whole story, and it will be definitively clear that what I said was true. When I testify, you'll get the full story it will be definitively clear that what I said was true. That is what he said outside of the trial uh, leading up to the trial in this past week. He's been saying that over and over again. Here, after the first day of trial, this is when Rudy Giuliani defamed Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss more, and he said that they were actually engaged in the conduct that they were not, and he said, stay tuned. I'm going to show it to everybody. Play this clip. Whatever happened to them, which is, it's unfortunate if other people overreacted, but everything I said about them is true. Do you regret what you did to sh- Ruby Of course Freeman? I don't regret it. I told the truth. They they were engaged in changing votes. 
There's no proof of that. Oh, you're damn right there is. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Me and Donald Trump, we're keeping it secret. We're not going to let anybody know about it because that's how secret it is. Stay tuned. Okay, well, are you or Donald Trump going to testify? No. No, no we're not. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Absolutely. no, no, we're not We're not going to do that. Uh, okay. So then Rudy Giuliani's lawyer uh, on the closing argument before the case was handed to the jury was basically attacking his own client. He compared Rudy Giuliani to a flat earther who will never stop believing election lies, saying that he did commit an injustice against Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss, and noting that he's almost 80 and that that's why they should have sympathy on him. The jury should have sympathy on Giuliani because he's almost 80. And then Rudy Giuliani's lawyer said, Rudy Giuliani shouldn't be defined by what has happened in recent times. That's actually an argument made by Giuliani's lawyers, that he shouldn't be defined Mm. by what has happened in recent times. That's kind of what a lawsuit's about, like what happened in recent – that's kind of the way life works, is that the the recent times are of import. So now where the case is, it's with the jury. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss have asked for a range between about $15 to $45 million. That doesn't include punitive damages. The jury deliberated for about three and a half hours. One hour was for lunch. They're going to be coming back on Friday. We expect a verdict on Friday. Brett – as absurd as Rudy Giuliani has been enacted, it's kind of consistent with what we're seeing on Capitol Hill with James Comer, Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene and their BS impeachment inquiry and their BS regarding Hunter Biden where Hunter Biden agreed to show up, testify publicly under oath, no limits attached was only the MAGA Republicans go, oh, well, we can't do it at a committee here because it's five minutes per member of Congress. No, it isn't. It's so disingenuous there too. If the MAGA Republicans control the committee, you all control the rules. If in response to Hunter Biden saying he would testify publicly, you all could have said, okay, bet. Three days, 12 hours each day, we're going to appoint someone who's going to cross-examine him and we're going to delegate our time to the top Republican lawyer to do the – they could have done that. They go, nope, we, we can't handle a committee hearing setting. We need to do secret depositions. Brett, tell us about what's been going on in Capitol Hill. And by the way, there's probably a place also to do depositions in private and reasons for it, but not when you're dealing with such such a disingenuous group like these Republicans who have already proven that they are going to twist words, take things out of context, mm-hmm. and in many occasions, flat out lie about what was said until the transcripts are released days, if not weeks later, and then it's proven that they just made the whole thing up. Like this is something that has happened multiple times at hearings. They have they have taken text messages. And they have like faked them. They have taken words out. They have like put things together. And by the way, so Hunter Biden comes out yesterday uh, on, on Wednesday and Hunter Biden goes and he speaks in front of the Capitol and he says, listen, I am here, right? Everyone's asking, where's Hunter? Well, 
I am here and I am ready to speak with this committee, but I want to do it in public because they have been known to be deceitful and they have been known to lie about me and drag my name through the mud. And I thought Hunter's speech in front of the Capitol, I found it incredibly powerful to the point where I was like, we need to hear more from Hunter because I think they, these Republicans have been able to make him into like not even a human being, right? They've, they made him into a caricature. So let's first listen to Hunter talking about the lies that the Republicans have made up about him. I'm here today to make sure that the House Committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. And I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. For that, I'm responsible. For that, I'm accountable. And for that, I'm making amends. But I'm also here today to correct how the MAGA right has portrayed me for their political purposes. I am first and foremost a son, a father, a brother, and a husband from a loving and supportive family. I'm proud to have earned degrees from Georgetown University and Yale Law School. I'm proud of my legal career and business career. I'm proud of my time serving on a dozen different boards of directors. And I'm proud of my efforts to forge global business relationships. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They have ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they have belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me all to embarrass and damage my father, who has devoted his entire public life to service. For six years, I have been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine, shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. I think that's an important way to take back the narrative and tell your story. And by the way, instantaneously, Republicans proved him 100% right because they immediately started, what did they do? They started cutting up his interview into deceptive things to try to imply that he said things that he didn't say. They did what they wanted to do in the closed door hearing, but with Hunter's statement outside the Capitol, because Mm -hmm. that's what they do. They traffic in disinformation. And then, of course, like the Republicans erupted. They were so angry. And one of the most hypocritical uh, people of this bunch is obviously uh, Jim Jordan, who himself defied a lawfully issued subpoena to participate in the January 6th committee. And he has the nerve to go be running around Congress. How dare you defy a subpoena? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? It's like, dude, it's exact. It's it's what you did, but what you did was worse because that was a real investigation, and this is just BS. You're actually just harassing a private citizen. So, this is what happened after. 
Comer is just running around and he's trying to keep up with his lies. And one of the first things that James Comer tries to say, and I, I don't even know how he says this with a straight face, is he goes, listen, we are running a, a serious investigation here. This is a normal process in the investigation. This has been a serious, credible, transparent investigation from day one. We've published four bank memorandums. We've had countless press conferences. This is an investigation about public corruption at the highest levels. We have accumulated mountains of evidence that's concerning to an overwhelming majority of Americans. We have specific questions in there, and I think we're going to allow you in there to see the uh, piles and piles of documents, of bank statements, of emails, of text messages that we've worked very hard on in this committee over the last eight or nine months. And over these eight or nine months, they've had many opportunities to present this evidence. They've come up with nothing, zero, literally nothing. And in fact, all the witnesses that they have brought in their closed door hearings or out in public have all said, no, there's nothing here. Joe Biden wasn't involved. Like, what are you talking about? Is essentially what everybody here has said. Meanwhile, by the way, James Comer's trying to make a big deal about, look, Hunter owns all these companies and some of them are shell companies. And of course, with MAGA, everything is projection. What do we learn more about today? James Comer has a shell company and he may be using it to hide some of his assets from financial disclosures. So I'm just saying everything that they say is pure projection. Let's listen to Jim Jordan for a little, just ranting in the hallways. <laughs> Once again, Jim Jordan, the guy who uh, covered up sexual abuse at the Ohio State University, uh, a guy who did not show when he was issued a subpoena. Let's hear what Jim Jordan had to say. People in for an interview behind closed doors where you can get those facts. And then, as the chairman said, we'd love for him to come public. Finally, I would say this, uh, Mr. Biden's counsel and the White House have both argued that the reason he couldn't come for a deposition position was because there wasn't a formal vote for an impeachment inquiry. Well, that's going to happen in a few hours. We think it's going to pass. We think the House of Representatives will go on record with the power that solely resides in the House to say we are in an official impeachment inquiry phase of our oversight. And when that happens, we'll see what their excuse is then. They should have been here today. But once we take that vote, we expect him to come in for a uh, for his interview, for his deposition. And frankly, uh, we'll also, I think, look at uh, contempt proceedings as we move. Like contempt, you you did that. You, you you didn't show for your subpoena contempt proceedings. One of my favorite moments, though, was like, you know, James Comer, Jim Jordan, they live in the world of MAGA crazy. Mm. But Marjorie Taylor Greene could out crazy them and take it to a level where they don't even want to go to. And so there was a moment during this impromptu press conference they had where Marjorie Taylor Greene tries to hijack it to start shouting her conspiracy theories about human sex trafficking. And it was even too much for Jim Jordan and James Comer, who were like, oh, okay, that's enough. We got to wrap it up. That was memorialized in emails that, we, that you guys leaked from Hunter Biden's laptop. I would like to have asked Hunter Biden about NANA violations. Sex trafficking women across the Thank state you all lines. very much. Thank you. That would have been a good question. You don't seem to care about that. James Comer's face and Jim Jordan's face when she started speaking. I, if you're listening on the audio, I recommend you just look. It's absolutely priceless. In this moment, James Comer lets a little bit of the, the truth slip when he describes what kind of investigation that he's actually engaged in. This has been, I think, the most transparent 
political or, 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 or congressional investigation since since I've been in Congress for seven. It, it, the most political uh, uh, congressional uh, investigation. I mean, did I say you got the whole word out too? Usually, like you stop yourself halfway, but it was such a Freudian <laughs> slip that it just it just all came out. Oh, uh, no doubt about it. But meanwhile, you know, anyone who even has an ounce of seriousness in them. Like you have Chuck Grassley and they asked Chuck Grassley who Chuck Grassley, like is one of the people in the Senate who is closest to all the chaos of this entire investigation. Like he knows everything that they are doing. He's like their point in the Senate for this investigation. And even Chuck Grassley is out there being like, yeah, no, they don't have any evidence. He said that he has, his father was not financially involved in any way with his business. Do you accept that? Uh, I'm going to, uh, take the same position I've taken since 2019, that all I can say is there's some indication of maybe some compromise uh, with China particularly, uh, but I have no evidence of it, and I'm going to just follow the facts where they are, and the facts haven't taken me to that point where I can say that the president's guilty of anything. When okay. The, when the... When, when <laughs> I, it's what, what do you even say, Brett? You, you, I mean, you can't say much except you just got to roll your eyes. But you know what, Jordy? Like people see through this BS. And you know, James Comer. Here's how bad it is for James Comer right now. James Comer is scared to speak to Peter and Steve Ducey on Fox about the investigation. Like he's acting like Steve Ducey and Peter Ducey are like the liberal media that's out to get him because they refuse to humor his BS sham impeachment scheme. And so he runs to Newsmax to complain about Steve and Peter Ducey. Like, you know, you have completely lost the argument when you are trying to argue against Peter and Steve Ducey as a Republican on your BS investigation. But like, you know, th there was this uh, a, a focus group on CNN and they were asking the voters, they were like, so what do you think about this whole impeachment thing that they're doing? And even the, the voters were like, I view this as like a political, like what, what the heck are they even doing? Support an impeachment inquiry to look into what's going on financially among the Bidens? None of you. Where are the facts and where are the evidence? Uh, I, I really largely think that a lot of the talk about impeachment inquiries and, and corruptness of the Bidens is political posturing and it's, it's noise. And this is going to backfire on them as it's already backfiring on them. President Biden sent out a fundraising email after they did the vote. And with the vote, by the way, every single Republican voted to start the impeachment inquiry. Even people like Ken Buck, who were like, I probably won't vote for it. I don't, I'm not really buying any of this, decided to vote for it because it was politically expedient for them. Like such an absolute disgrace. And what happened? President Biden had his biggest fundraising email that he's had all yeah. campaign right after that. Because people know that this is just political posturing and they know that it's BS. Heck, even their own members now are just flat out admitting the purpose of this. I mean, listen to GOP Congressman Nels talk about why they're doing this whole impeachment inquiry. Representatives, what are you hoping to gain from an impeachment inquiry? All I can say is Donald J. Trump 2024. Baby. All I can say is Donald Trump 2024. Suck it. It's like, okay. <laughs> and Troy Nels, by the way, he's the same guy who like a month ago said the quiet part out loud as well. He said, we are doing this to quote, give ammo to the Trump campaign to fight back because they know that they are about to nominate a candidate who has 
dozens and dozens and dozens of criminal charges who will likely be a convicted felon in a few months who is going to be center stage for his criminality and corruption, and they want to try to even the score with voters. It is purely revenge. And I'll just wrap up speaking about this. You know, I think that Jamie Raskin probably says it best. What this is all, like, what's the problem with this investigation? Here's Jamie Raskin. You know, the reason mysteries are called whodunits is because they start with a crime and then you have to try to figure out who did it. The Biden impeachment investigation isn't a whodunit. It's a what is it? It's like an Agatha Christie novel where the mystery is what's the crime? And that gets very tedious very fast. After 11 months of this, no one can tell us what President Biden's crime was, much less where it happened, when it happened, what the motive was, who the perpetrators were, or who the victims were. Maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen in Congress was yesterday in the Rules Committee when Congressman Nagus kept asking Congressman Reschenthaler what the crime was, and Reschenthaler, who's not on the Oversight Committee and is apparently just waking up to the joke, kept saying he didn't know what it was, but that's why we need an impeachment investigation to find out. And Nagus kept asking him, but what will the impeachment investigation be looking for? And finally, Reschenthaler said, a high crime or misdemeanor, and Nagu said, yes, but which one? And so there you have it. And I want to bring you back now to the quote that I told you about in the beginning. That's what MAGA Mike Johnson, the Republican Speaker of the House, said to Brett Baer when asked what his top priority was. Top priority is to keep and grow our majority. This entire thing is to try to hurt President Biden in the polls. It's to try to do everything that they can to keep their majority. But guess what? They've run this strategy now for the past few years, and they've lost every time. They were supposed to have this big red wave. What happened to the big red wave? Never happened. All those elections during the Trump administration, what happened? A lot of losing, whole lot of losing, because these are the tactics that they engage in. Rather than actually help the American people and prioritize that, this is the behavior that they engage in, and they have accomplished nothing. They've done nothing. Tell me what Mike Johnson do. They're not even able to pass Ukraine aid right now. Thankfully, President Biden was able to use his own drawdown authority from pre-approved funds, and he was able to get $200 million to Ukraine in the interim. By the way, that's in weapons that we're selling too, so it actually helps like American uh, weapons manufacturers and helps American businesses. Who are, like when, when they say $200 million in aid, that, that money's actually going to like our manufacturers here in the country. It's not like they send them a bag of cash or a wire transfer. Like that's that's what it means. President Biden was able to get Ukraine the aid they need at this crucial period of time. It's not nearly enough. There's still negotiations going on in Congress to try to get this aid. And Republicans don't seem to want to compromise right now. Now, the Senate might keep, uh, Chuck Schumer might keep the Senate there uh, into the vacation, try to get something done. And President Biden and the Democrats have already said, listen, we'll negotiate on the border. Like, we, we it's important for us to protect Ukraine right now, because if we don't, the consequences can be devastating. And Republicans simply want to help 
Putin here. I mean, there's really no other way because if you have, and they also don't want their issues to go away. Like you saw what happened when uh, Roe went away, right? They lost one of their big talking points and they've been getting crushed in elections. They also don't want their border talking point to go away. Also, they actually, they don't want to solve the border issues. They don't want to actually compromise and figure out how to fix this system because the second the system starts getting better, it's actually horrible for the Republican Party. They're just completely full of crap, to go back to what Ben said earlier. This is the theme with all these MAGA people. They lie, they gaslight, they do not live within reality. And we just need to continue to get across what the reality is and what the truth is. And that's why we do politics different on the Midas Touch Network, because we don't really follow just the, you know, we don't really promote the gamesmanship at the end of the day, right? We promote the people and we promote the politicians who support the people. And we call out the politicians who harm the people. It's a very simple formula, right? The top priority should be to help the American people and to make the world a better place, but to start off by helping the American people with jobs, with health care, better working conditions, with education, with our military, with our veterans, right? By protecting and preserving social security, by keeping that contract with seniors and taking care of our seniors, taking care of our students, by making sure that we focus on, on helping the American workforce, bringing jobs back to America. We got to focus on these things. We got to lower prescription drug prices. We got to focus on health care. Those are the priorities. Those are the priorities. And that's something we got to talk about each and every day. And it's not just engaging in fear mongering and scare tactics to try to keep people in worse positions as the MAGA Republicans want to do. It's so what are you doing to deliver for the American people? And Brett, when you showed that uh, group of people right there who were responding about the impeachment inquiry, one of the things I always found as a litigator as well when it came to a jury is that by and large, you know, when you put the data in front of a jury, you realize how smart they are. When you put the data in front of the American people, you realize how smart the American people are. That's why the MAGA Republicans, though, run disinformation campaigns on the American people. If you put all of this data in front of the American people and the American people were the jury on each and every issue, it would all lead in one direction to the pro-democracy community and the Democrats. And ultimately, that's why I lean in that direction. But the moment the pro-democracy community is not pro-democracy anymore, or Democrats betray those values that I discuss, I'm not just going to stick around just for the heck of it. <laughs> that's not my view of politics. My view is who is delivering for the people right now. Who's delivering for the American people? It's a very simple formula right there. And that is always our guiding principle here. Jordy, let me throw it to you before we close it. Any final words from you, Jay? This is just a great show, brothers. I, I love doing the show with you. I love hanging out with the community because ultimately, like, look, these, these days are getting long. These weeks are getting longer. But we're going to be in 2024 election cycle pretty damn quick. And so I love coming on this ride. I love hanging out with the Midas Mighty, talking with everybody in the chat. And it's just time to really focus because there are democracies at stake.
And guess what, Jordy? The show doesn't end here because you can oh. catch the after show, Midas More, on patreon.com slash Midas Touch. For those wondering, what we do is once we finish the live show here, and people ask, yes, we are live live, and we watch all your comments <laughs> as we do this show. It's true. And after this, we finish recording and then we record the after show. That is not live live. We post that to our Patreon so that you can watch it at any time. And that is exclusive at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. It's a fun way for us to help grow this unapologetically pro-democracy network without needing you know, these billionaire investors that all these other news organizations exist, then we want to stay independent and accountable to you. So check out patreon.com slash Midas touch for that. That's it. That's it. That's it. Wow. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.